Hey there, guten Morgen. Um, we're still listening to Mea Culpa, the latest podcast with Lincoln Project. Yeah, let's back up a little bit and make the sure we got it all. The short of it is, people like her, like Lindsey Graham, you know, like Nancy Mace, who's another one that I have zero tolerance for, and I just want to tell her to shut up because <laughs> she just is so performative and hypocritical. And another one preening, trying to get attention. See, look at me, look at me. I want attention, I want attention. I was a backbencher, and now I'm not. And I'm going to, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be the new Miss Maga of, of Congress. Like, Elise Stefanik, Nancy Mace, Lauren Boebert, like all these people, Marjorie Taylor Greene, they all have different motivations for it, uh, what drives them. But the bottom line is, the common denominator is power relevance. Same thing with Kellyanne Conway. We talked about this the last time I was on. She's someone else who knows better, who's smart, who had a career, who had a nice family, who gave it all up, threw it all away to become one of the biggest shills and hypocrites of the entire Trump era. For what? It cost her her family, it cost her her reputation, and why? Because she had proximity and power in the White House? Well, she, she mentioned it. She... You know, she, she came from a single family home. So obviously she, she was looking for the attention of a man. She, lost, she did not have the love of her father. So this is her way of, of looking at Donald Trump as some father figure, which is, you know, I mean, she's not the only one. A lot of other people look at him in this weird way too. And that's, I'll leave that up to the psychologist to figure that out. But why do they do this? I mean, Elise Stefanik is Harvard educated for fuck's sake. She's not a dummy. But she made a calculated decision to go this route. When she first came into Congress, she was the youngest member of Congress, a female member of Congress, a Republican, and they were all the promise to her. She was moderate. She was going to help bridge the divides. And she was part of that new crop of, of, of moderate Republicans. Now, she's like Ava Braun level. I called her Baghdad Bob and Neil. What are you doing? You're going on national media, staying with a straight face, a January 6th convicted felon domestic terrorist who attacked the building she was in where she was cowering in a corner, scared for her life on that day, calling those people hostages? It, it, it is, it is outrageous. And then to turn it around and make it to with such authority as if we're all the assholes for questioning her. It's outrageous, but we have to push back on it. We have to push back. I, I wish Kristen Welker had pushed back more on her. I like Kristen. I think she's an excellent journalist. I don't know if she's suited out for the anchor chair for that show, necessarily. But they've got to push back on it. You know, if a Mehdi Hassan or a stronger interviewer was interviewing Elise Stefanik, who she would never have the courage to go in front of because she knows they wouldn't let her get away with it. But they would have fact-checked her on the spot. And nailed her on that. Wait, I'm sorry. You you are a big supporter of Israel. So you're telling me that the January 6th, uh, prisoners are equivalent to the hostages right. in, in that were taken by Hamas, were brutally taken by against their will it's and tortured. It's a shame. She did a great yeah. job. She was speaking with the MIT, um, University yeah. of Pennsylvania, and Harvard, you know, presidents, and on put them issue. on the spot on that right. issue. She was yeah. right on. But you're right to call, I mean, to call them hostages. What I do want to. It is an affront. And not only to them, by the way, not only are the front to people who are actual hostages around the world and people who have been taken hostage, um, but what an affront to law enforcement. I mean, all those law enforcement Thank officers you. who were there Two defending the Capitol, putting their lives on the line to defend ungrateful motherfuckers like her, 
turn around and disrespect their service and their sacrifice to protect them by claiming those yeah, people who you. are now paying the price for breaking the law are hostages? I mean, I, mostly people who follow me know I Sick come Nick. from a law enforcement family. My grandfather was a police Diaper officer. Don never said the Captain name Brian Sicknick, by the way. My, my husband is a federal law enforcement agent, 23 years. How dare she? And I don't understand why people in the law enforcement community aren't protesting in, in her home office or in her office in Congress, telling her to apologize to them for making those comments. How dare she? Because How dare any of them, of them allowing that? Many of them are the same people that seem to be backing Trump, who was actually the guy who told everybody to storm the Capitol. I'll meet you there. And instead, yeah. they are yeah. out there. No. It's incomprehensible. I, I, can't, I can't figure out what the reason for backing because I'm racist. Me. Again, it's That's baffling, why. and I'll never understand. It. It's all part of the big so, picture. Me, yeah. So me Overall, trampling of human rights, Donald. civil rights. Most powerful member. Now, when asked about Trump, he responds, and I'm going to quote: "They choose not to get involved." To comment and comment about any of the people running for the Republican nomination. Seriously, since when? Since when does Mitch McConnell not have something to say? Well, you know, Mitch McConnell, <laughs> his best days are behind him. It's obvious. And there was a time, you're right, where Mitch McConnell was one of the most powerful people in Washington. He ran the Senate very tight ship. He was very good at Senate brinkmanship and understood the rules and knew how to get things done. Mitch McConnell has been emasculated by Trump, the Trump era politics of the GOP, like many others. I mean, I don't think he's seen his balls in 20 years at this point, but at least not in the last seven since Trump has been around. He is incapable of taking a stand and pushing back. And I think it has to do with a few things. Because he's got dirt on the mall. He's past his prime. He just doesn't have the energy. He's just trying to sail into the sunset and retire eventually. He doesn't want to deal with the death threats and the <laughs> and the questions and the, you know, the, the bombardment by Trump crazies that people who speak out against Trump, that, I mean, that's what we get. So it's par for the course at this point. Not everybody is willing to do that. And he's a coward like many of the rest of them. So when Nancy Mace gets out there and, and, and screams about Hunter Biden in a hearing and asks him where are his balls, she needs to turn around and ask that about every single person in the Republican Party who's been unwilling to stand up to Donald Trump and is trying to uh, watch the deterioration of this country as a result of it. And Mitch McConnell is a perfect example. He freaking knows better. He knows. And he has very strong opinions about Donald Trump in private, believe me. We know. We have people in those circles still, the Republicans, still deal in Senate world, Mitch McConnell, you know, lackeys who are out there, Josh Holmes and all them. They can't stand Donald Trump. They hate his guts. They call him every name in the book in private, but they're too cowardly to stand up and say it in public. Every opportunity they've had. Could you imagine if Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy and you know, all the other Republican luminaries who were in positions of power and influence had collectively stood up to Trump years ago, we wouldn't be here now. 
because there would be a permission structure within the party for everyone to say what they really feel about Donald Trump because they know it, and he would he would still be an outlier. But, but you know, they're not. They won't because they're cowards. They're Could you imagine? I mean, first of all, I find Nancy Mace. I find the Republicans' their comments to be so abhorrent. First of all, Hunter Biden did, doesn't work for the government, right? And right. It's obviously, a it's a, he's a private citizen, and so uh, he wants to come in and testify, and he wants to do it publicly. In public. He right. wants there right. to be transparency. That's what this whole charade was about. And then Nancy Bates, um, you know, to get up there and to say, you know, where are your balls? What he should have said is for a Broadway show ticket. You know, Lauren Boebert's hand. I mean, he should have said something, right? Lauren Boebert's mouth. You know exactly where they are since your colleague showed pictures of, of my uh, naked body to the entire Congress. Clearly, you know where they are, sweetheart. Right. <laughs> you know, I mean, like, there's so many things. You've seen them, up, uh, right? Close and personal.
quite remarkable, and I'm sure there will be volumes written about it. But it's almost like Gladiator, you know, it's like Roman times, where these people, like, they, you know, pile into the Nero. to watch people getting torn apart by animals and cheer it on. You know, they know it's cruel and depraved. That's what kind of like what we're, we're in. That's right. It's the political environment we're in now that Republicans thrive off of. It is, and the thing that I have a lot of concerns about are the Democrats, who now say that they will not vote for President Biden because he supports Israel's right to defend themselves. And this is extremely alarming to me, because I've actually heard people say that. Congregants 
in, in, in the church. And uh, a woman yelled out, you know, Joe, uh, Joe Biden is a good man. He's a good man. And we want him four more years. And, and President Biden handled it with grace. He handled it. He didn't say to people, knock the hell out of those people. He didn't say, throw them out. He didn't call them names. He handled it with grace and dignity because he is a good and decent man. And it's a complicated freaking issue. And I warned Democrats, and in this, in this instance it was black Democrats, but all, any Democrats that think that by staying home or voting third party is somehow going to teach Joe Biden a lesson or it's somehow going to change policy. No, it isn't. You throwing a political temper tantrum over not getting 100% of what you want on one specific issue is not going to advance the cause at all. Not for you, not for the rest of the country, not for anyone who believes in a free and fair America. Because Donald Trump is the alternative. So you want to sit home, throw your little temper tantrum, and you think you're going to punish Joe Biden. No. You're going to punish yourselves and the rest of the country because it will allow Donald Trump to win again. Who wants to have a Muslim man? Who thinks that immigrants are vermin? Who uh, wants to tear up the Constitution? Who wants to be a dictator and have fantasies of that? Who wants to have you know sleepovers with Kim uh, you know Kim Jong Un and Putin and you know all the other dictators of the world and and you know and have their own little dictator parties? Like he wants to take rights away. He doesn't care about people of color. He doesn't care about equality. He doesn't care about the, women you know, or America becoming a more perfect young union. people. Donald Trump Except the is fuck a up. clear and present danger to our way of life. Yep. And so you're going to sit home because Joe Biden doesn't doesn't fully agree with you on an, on an issue that is 5,000 miles away. Oh, you're going to all really? vote for Trista. you didn't get your student loan forgiven. Because, Get you know, it all canceled and refund. No, I know. Get me on the ballot. Um, I'm the education candidates. Apparently, that's that's uh, what I've been labeled in the past when I ran for city council in Washington D.C. About 1997, uh, had the same problems. Uh, they don't want me on the ballot, so they contest my signatures, which I got all myself, each and every one of those people I talked to. Thank you for signing my petition, by the way. And the 600, thank you for the 637 people, I believe it was, who uh, signed my petition to run for governor. And uh, there were several hundred people who signed my petition to run for senator last time. So, and thank you for those. Thank you for that. And uh, appreciate you. And uh, please go sign my petition to run for sheriff in Tucson, Arizona. If you're at a Pima resident, please sign my petition and send it to your Tucson friends and family. It's uh, go.azsos.gov slash x, little x. It, it, it's all lowercase. xww9. Okay. And uh, yeah. If you want to see a moderate, progressive woman kick ass and take names in two stone dared stoner, make uh, make America kind again <laughs> in more ways than one, uh, then yeah, get me on the ballot. And uh, I will not only cancel all the student debt, this, this should go out to the Daily Wildcat. Hey, Wildcats at the U of A and Young Democrats, I've been trying to 
tag you and open up a dialogue here, some communication with the student community here in Tucson, Arizona. And uh, I will, and all the College Democrats of America, Young Democrats of America, the, you're my people. All 8 million of you, I want you all to vote um, for, you know, get me on the ballot. <clears throat> get a youth candidate, pro-youth candidate. Pro-youth, pro-education. I'm a retired teacher and journalist. Speak several languages because I've traveled and lived around the world about half of my life. England, France, Sweden, yeah, Taiwan, Washington, D.C. I lived, uh, you know, all over the states as well. Tucson, the gay area, as, as I affectionately call it. Thank you for the good times, man. All those rave parties. Uh, in the 90s, when I graduated, I, could, I remember waltzing through the, uh, waltzing with somebody through the Sproul Plaza. <laughs> Maybe it was some, it was a guy named Cosmo or something. <laughs> it's a nice, ran fun, random thought, random memory. Anyway, so yeah, uh, for all you student young people, uh, you will no longer be saddled with crippling debts, education debts. It's going to we're going to cancel all student debt. Uh, you know, we'll pay it off, pay 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 it off for you. We'll negotiate, negotiate. Say like, how about uh, you know half half price? We'll pay everybody's. You know. That's what your president's supposed to do to negotiate on your behalf to make your life better. I would say. But anyway, yeah, not only are all your student debts going to be canceled immediately, like day one, instead of being dictator, I, I would cancel. Um, <laughs> that would be good. Uh, instead of being dictator. Dictator day one. Ides. One. Cancel all student debt. And put tuition. Back to 1950s level, which is basically free. Like 50 bucks. Um, and uh, semester. Like how my mom... That was what my, my parents' generation had to pay. So I think that's only fair. And, and okay, here's, here's what makes me a way better candidate than the rest. Um, I would, uh, um, refunds, refunds, refunds. <laughs> for all past paid off student debt because it shouldn't have been there in the first place. Shit, I'm sorry. And an apology, apology, and maybe like a gift certificate to your nearest dispensary. 
<laughs> oh man, that's great. That would make a good ad to get me on the ballot. Get me on the ballot and then send and then send it to all the young Democrat groups around the country on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Um see if they would get me on the ballot with those with those uh, just those are my that's just my education platform. Um, so that would be great to my, uh, you know, pitch it to the, I sh should do, a, a series of platform speeches, basically, that's what I consider them, speeches, one, uh, edu on education for young people, and the idea is to persuade you, idea, persuade you, to get me on ballots, okay? So on education for the youth, young people, and on um, retirement uh, quality of life, retirement, yeah, quality, no, that should be different, retirement for old folks, okay? But it also involves quality of life. Everybody's, but I should do one on everybody's quality of life. Poisoning, uh, government. I propose government stop poisoning our air, food, and water supply. Okay? Motherfuckers. Okay. And yeah, the idea is to persuade y'all to get me on the ballot. Thank you. How do you, how do we get Trista on the ballot? Well, I filed. How do we get Trista on the ballot? <laughs> how do we get Trista on the ballot? And this could be, hey man, I'm just here to, here to entertain myself. I'll make my way out. <laughs> okay, let's get back to the show, man. They don't... I know, but they don't associate that, you know what I mean? Or because inflation, you know, went up a couple points as a result of, of you know, COVID and Trump and all of that. But people, don't, they don't, they have short attention spans. Unfortunately, the president gets the blame. So that's what you're going to do. People need to wake up and look at the bigger picture and stop this shit. Because it really is the future of America for Donald Trump's America. Because I sure as hell don't want to live in Donald Trump's America. I certainly won't. But let me ask you this, Harry. You hear certain pundits saying that President Biden has lost the black vote. First of all, do you think that that's true? And if so, why? Because I was just in Florida. And I, I tell you, I was a little nervous. I was in Palm Beach. And I went, huh? to, go visit, I, I went to go visit my parents um, yeah. who, who lived in that area. And there was concerns. No, 
the contrary. I went with my folks over to Costco and pick up some water and some stuff. <laughs> and there were a whole slew of people. And all of a sudden, they're like, it's Michael Cohen, it's Michael Cohen. And then there was um, this one uh, black gentleman who was sitting there by the hearing aid section. Right? Mm-hmm. I guess he was trying to get a battery or something. Yeah. Um, I started talking to him. His daughter goes to Dartmouth, and he's all decked out in Dartmouth gear, his hat, oh, his shirt, them. and so yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, he clearly was. I, I believe he was a Wall Street guy himself. Um, mm-hmm. but he grabbed a hold of my hand, and he was like, "You, you keep beating the shit out of that bastard." And then there was mm-hmm. a woman that was standing next to him, of no relation, who turned around and said the same thing: "Bring him down, bring him down." Come but on, I've got get more in. people. No relation. And there were a couple people that said, you know, I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't care what you say. I'm a Trump Where are my kitchen men? Chickens in the kitchen. Yeah. I don't believe it's true what they're saying about black vote. And if I could just say one last thing before I ask you to answer it. Think about Trump's most recent statement about the Civil War. That, that Lincoln... Right. Took too long. He didn't know what he was doing. He could have resolved civil war <laughs> in 24 hours. Now, the only way that you could have stopped civil war in 24 hours is to give it up. To capitulate to the South. Yeah. Right. Plain and simple. Meaning, yes. meaning, he's pro-slavery. So well, how is it are you shocked at that? Um, <laughs> I'm not shocked at that. No. Yeah, I mean, come on, Mike. You know how you know Trump's history with with people of color. His entire, I mean, his from his father, you know, racist to him being a racist to being sued for race, racial discrimination to the way he treated Losing. black employees in a casino to the way he discrimination in housing to Central Park Five. I mean, all of those. Yeah. His long history Don't of comments Central and behavior concerning people of color, except for the ones that you know were performative for him athletes or you know boxers or football players or who he looked at as not being as smart but they were entertaining or had money so you know donald trump is a freaking racist he's a bigot always has been and i think that he i think he thinks that yeah the civil you could negotiate the freedom of human beings that you thought were lesser than i mean that is an insane statement and the fact that he would he would denigrate one of the greatest presidents ever walked the earth in President Lincoln, who was able to navigate that civil war and was able to finally defeat the, the, the Confederacy and black Americans getting rights in this country and were free from slavery. Now, it took 100 years to get full rights, but still, you got to start somewhere. Um, the fact that, that, that Donald Trump would make comments like that, again, it speaks to where his heart is and what he actually believes. He uses all this kind of nonsense all the time. And everyone just goes, yeah, okay, whatever. It seems to be all right. What? So the fact that there would be black Americans, there's, there's been a bunch of articles out there. I think some of this is planted by the Trump people because I know that they've, they've been talking about they want to make inroads because they did make a 2% increase from 2016 to 2020 with the black vote, which is crazy. You often use the statistic about Philadelphia that Trump got 20% more of the black vote in Philadelphia in 2020 than he did in 2016. Um, and why? Well, cognitive dissonance is a hell of a drug, number one. Number two, um, machismo, 
and misogyny very real. There is a, most of this movement is coming from black men. And these are black men with grievance, no different than white men with grievance who support Donald Trump. They have a grievance and they are attracted to Donald Trump um, claiming to be their champion. And that is a very powerful tool. And Trump knows that. So there's, and there's also a certain amount of that celebrity, the rich celebrity. Starfucker. A, a facade, right? We all know that Trump's not as, he's not as rich as he claims. A lot of it's a facade. He's a terrible businessman. But it doesn't matter. He spent decades <laughs> building that, that facade up. And people, you know, who don't pay attention all the time or who are uninterested in, you know, critical thinking, on the surface, they're like, Donald Trump is cool. And, you know, yeah, he's a tough guy. And he's going to take care of me. And, and this is problematic because the Democratic Party has taken the black vote for granted in a lot of areas. Mm-hmm. And the election is going to be really, really close again. And they cannot take that Democratic coalition for granted. One or two percentage points can make the difference here. So I think there is a red flag. that The alarms are going off for Democrats. They cannot take this for granted. Biden has lost some of the black vote, younger black voters. Older black voters who also are higher propensity voters too they actually do vote younger black voters don't vote at the same rate but still we need everybody to, to do that to, to get out there and vote um he has lost some of some of that that demographic right now for a couple of reasons one again we're back to the israeli hamas palestinian issue there is this certain you know it's complicated but there is a certain um uh the black community feels a certain relationship to the Palestinians, and so oftentimes they are more pro-Palestinian than they are is Israel. That has an impact. Um, that's I think that's impacting the, the polling right now concerning Biden and, and younger black people. Also, economics. Now, there's people feel as though they were more economically stable under Trump, and this is no different than what's happening in some you know white communities too. But for blacks, they were like, wait, hold on, we you know we had. They got the COVID money. Their small businesses were, were funded. Um, gas prices were lower. And they're like, well, we were better off economically under that guy. And it's like, yeah, but you don't understand what, A, at what it cost, and B, what contributed to that. You know, COVID screwed everything up. But so there's these certain things that people have to, they don't remember the bad stuff about Trump that impacts them directly. But he says it, Tara, every single day. So if you're, if you're a black male... different things, though. You know what? You know what I mean? But, Tara, if you're a black um, American, and you hear a guy who wants to be the president of the United States talking about how he could have resolved, and we all know exactly what he means by it, he could have resolved the, the civil war... 24 hours. He doesn't think much of you. Like they said, yet you're still going they could resolve the Ukraine problem. If you are a female. Overnight. Just give it to you, Russia. Acceptance <laughs> of his own self laudatory congratulation that he single handedly ended a 50 year starry decisive decision of Roe mm-hmm. versus Wade. And you are mm-hmm. a female and you are holding up a sign. It says, vote Trump. You, young lady, are a fucking idiot. You, Mr. <laughs> yep, or Mrs. Black American, who is voting for Donald Trump, do that. who would truly make the statement that I have no problem with black people. Everyone should own them. 
That's a Donald Trump statement. Then you, yeah. Mr. or Mrs. Black American, are a fucking idiot. You're voting against your own self-interest. You are. You're voting against your own self-interest. And, 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 you know, as a, you know, as a minority Republican for many years, I used to have to battle with people who couldn't understand how I would be a Republican based off of some of the racist history of Republicans. And, and I would, I would say that, you know, that wasn't everyone, you know, the principles of, of conservatism or something that I believed in that I thought had better policy solutions just because the messengers were fallible didn't mean that there was no merit to conservatism. I used to have to battle my Democratic friends over that. But now, it's not the same. The dynamic is not the same. We're not talking about policies. We're talking about basic decency and the viewpoint that Black Americans would have been negotiated in slavery. Less than human, like owning people. Like, chattel. And how, chattel. That's right, chattel. Like this is, and, and Donald Trump is, we're, we're relitigating this in 2024. This is actually a conversation. No, there is, this is not about policy. This is not a difference between whether there should be public private partnerships and welfare uh, or how many, you know, tax credits you should get for small businesses or minority diversity projects. Okay. No, 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 no. We're talking about fundamental human rights here. Absolutely. That's a huge difference. And so, you know, I, I, like I said, cognitive dissonance is a hell of a drug for always those people that will be sympathizers um, to their, you know, for people that they, that hate them. And we, you know, we saw it in, yep. that's correct. You know, yep. there's always going to be those, but black women are still very, very supportive of, uh, solidly supportive of Joe Biden. Um, older black Americans are solidly supportive of Joe Biden. He still has a nine to one, eight to one advantage over Trump when it comes to black Americans. Um, but if they stay home versus, now I don't think they're going to go and vote for Trump necessarily. I mean, you're going to have some, but the ones that feel that they're going to stay home because they're like, oh, it doesn't matter or they're the same. And that's, those are the people that really need to take a strong, hard look at, you know, what, what, they're, what the implications of that will be. So, Tara, look, we know that President Biden has been trying to fix the immigration um, and the border, literally. This is something a lot of people don't know. Since day one in office. Yeah. Now, I want to just, from a historical perspective, talk about the fact that the border immigration has been an issue now for over five, six decades. All mm-hmm. right. This didn't happen because Joe Biden came into office. The difference, Correct. though, Republicans, <laughs> Republicans have somehow managed to blame the entire border crisis on Joe Biden. So my question to you, Tara, how do Democrats turn this narrative around? First of all, it should it sounds like it should be easy because it's fundamentally flawed. It is a lie. It is inaccurate. But nevertheless, Republicans have seized the message and we need to figure out how to turn that message around. How do you do it? Well, well, um, there is some there's blame to go around here for everybody. When I worked in Capitol Hill for seven years, um, immigration was part of my portfolio. So I'm very intimately familiar with the problems, with the political um, expediency of not wanting to fix those problems. And Republicans recognized that power of the fear factor concerning immigration was a very powerful motivator for their constituents. So... Any opportunity 
for people who were negotiating good faith on both sides to try to get an immigration deal on whether it was guest worker programs or E-Verify or the Secure the Fence Act or some type of comprehensive immigration reform with visas, um, with uh, you know stronger border security, hiring more border agents or whatever. Republicans would ultimately blow it up because it was to their political advantage to keep the issue out there. Every single time Republicans would get into a, uh, a rut or they were desperate to change the subject because Donald Trump was doing something insane or whatever, or Democrats were doing good things, all of a sudden there's a caravan. There's Fox News and everyone going down to the border, showing pictures of the border chaos or, you know, border issue would come up and immigrants would be the, you know, were demonized. Now, is the border system broken? Yes. Do we have a problem at the border? Absolutely. Could more have been done by the Biden administration when they got into office to fix this? Yes. And they should have been more aggressive earlier on. There's a reason they recognize that this was going to be a problem, This was, which is why they tried to push Title 42 as long as they could, which is what kept it was the, the health emergency that kept a lot of the uh, uh, illegal immigrants out and in Mexico because of a health emergency. But eventually, once the COVID health emergency was lifted, there was no legal basis anymore for the Biden administration to keep that in place because it worked. But the remain in Mexico issues and, and trying to fix the asylum system, because, yes, a lot of them are taking advantage of the asylum system. It's broken. Um, catch and release is a problem. Our border agents are overwhelmed, don't have the capacity. But we shouldn't be separating families and putting kids in cages. There is some. There are ways around having to do this in a way that is either really cruel and inhuman or just kind of like kicking the can down the road. So how do, what do we do? Well, there are points that the Republicans are making about things that can be done down at the border that are valid. Democrats need to, they need to, they need to finally understand that there's going to have to be some tough decisions made here. Enough is enough is enough. The average American looks at what's happening at the border and they say they could have a heart for immigrants. You don't have, you don't have to be a xenophobe to be like, you know, because you want to see order at the border. No, but the average American looks at that and goes, no, something's got to be done here. And that's why the Biden administration was trying to, in good faith, negotiate with some Republicans to get a deal done in exchange for support for Ukraine and, and support for Israel and what they needed on as well. I'm skeptical that they will ever reach a deal because Republicans have no incentive to give Biden a win. That's what they've said it. I don't know, it was Clay Higgins, somebody recently, these Republicans said it. They're like, we're not going to give Biden that political win. These are people's lives. These, this is the you know, livelihoods of people along the border. These are, you know, these are immigrants who are coming here for a better life. Most of them are good and decent people okay. that just want a better life okay. here. So but, then just do it the right way. Do it the, right, do right, the right way, way. exactly. Give, create a, an incentive structure that allows them to do it the right way. Because right now, you, you can get here the wrong way and stay here. That's why they keep doing it. There's no consequence. So the Biden administration, there are things they could do immediately. Um, negotiating a remain in Mexico, fixing the asylum system, stopping this catch and release nonsense. And, you know, and, and it's a little tough. And the immigration advocates on the, on the Democratic side don't like it. But they're going to have to get over it. Because this is this is a this is a problem for the Biden administration, and they've got to show that they see they recognize this and that the American people want something done. 
so, so we'll Jeff, see what they can do. Sure. So then let me ask you, what do you see as a former Republican? What do you see as the future of the Republican Party? Especially, especially assuming that Trump ends up winning the nomination. I'm, I'm completely blown away that he will most probably get the nomination. There's, oh, no, he you know, will. No, unless Come on, there's he, no more unless probably. He, unless, unless he, he has dead. a heart attack. Right. Right. Or he ends up in prison. Y'all need to call all your secretaries of state and remind them they're not allowed to put his name on the ballot because he is an insurrectionist. Read the Constitution, Section 3. 14th Amendment, he clearly incited a rebellion, fomented an insurrection on January 6th. Everybody saw it, and there are lots of unindicted co-conspirators running around trying to change the story, trying to brainwash you a little bit more, but Never fear, everybody listen to Midas Touch. Okay? If you want some facts in this post-truth world, then listen to Midas Touch. In the nomination. I know, but, I know, but that's not going to happen see? before the election. Well, what do you see? Look, uh, Michael, we, you know, we've had this conversation many times, and the Republican Party is a shell of itself. It should, it, it, it should really burn to the ground, and you should start changing the name because if they allow Donald Trump to become the nominee, God forbid he wins again. Um, these are not Republicans, they're fascists and they're illiberal populists. And it's the, the Republican party has been dead and gone for quite some time now, but really dead and gone since they didn't impeach him over January 6th. Once January 6th happened, that should have been it for Donald Trump. They should could make been. every excuse before, you know, they could make every excuse before that. <laughs> Policies, tax cuts, whatever the fuck. January 6th was a direct attack on our Constitution and our peaceful transfer of power, which used to be something that was Anarchy. Republican orthodoxy. It was it was something that Republicans in their pocket constitutions and their constitutional sanctimony, these were supposed to be unmovable principles. And they demonstrated that nothing is sacred. They believe in nothing. They're nihilists. So what's the future of the party? Um yeah. as far as I'm concerned, the party should burn to the ground. Because it does it's it's it does not represent what what Repub the history of who Republicans are and what they believe in, because this is not the same Republican Party, and we're not just talking about the difference in tax rates. This is our fundamental shift away from liberal democracy. Period, and I want no part of it. And I think that the people who think that there's still normies left, who are they? You could fit them in a canoe. Yeah. Because every one of them, even the ones that say, well, we should move on from Donald Trump. Move on? You think? No, but 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 I'll still endorse him, though. He's, you know, he's better than Biden. Get the fuck out of here. Really? They, they, they 
they have no sense of moral clarity. They're morally bankrupt. And I, I just don't know as a major party, I think it's unfortunate that it's, it's, it's dying from within here. But the malignancy of Trumpism has destroyed the Republican Party, and it will never recover as long as any of these people are still are still in power. It will take a, a new group of middle of the road folks mm-hmm. like myself and others who are politically homeless now to possibly maybe start something new or get a movement together. But um, I don't see the Republican Party being a serious party or ever regaining the the glory days of Reagan or Bush or you know people for, for those of us who who proud of those presidencies um i don't ever see that the republican party going back there ever so then look the hour goes by very quickly here on the <laughs> i say it on every show because yeah it, it does i have a million more questions i'd like to ask you i do want to end it by asking you this what does the lincoln project have in store for this election year and more importantly how can we support Lincoln Project? Not just support Lincoln Project, to grow. You know, it's something that I talk about not just on this podcast, but on my live one with Ben Micellis, where we do mm-hmm. political beatdown. Uh, it's a YouTube yeah. sensation. And we constantly talk about how we're growing the community. And the purpose of growing the community is so that our voices can never be drowned out by these maggot morons that whether they want to just obsess on X on formerly Twitter or on any of the other social media platforms with their misinformation, disinformation, malinformation campaigns. We're putting out ads. We're trying to reach the masses one person at a time with less Mm -hmm. than 11 months to go. That's a very tough ask. So let me just again ask you, what is Lincoln Project? Well, I think their ads are phenomenal. What do you guys have in store? Talk about sticker shock. Shopping for that shiny new appliance is expensive. But what if you could get that same name brand appliance for a fraction of the price? Well, have you ever thought about what happens right. to appliances hey man, that no are sent Returned for time. Yeah, I you know we we appreciate that that this pro democracy movement has um, gained traction and gained more and more people recognizing that this is the fundamental issue uh, going into twenty twenty four. So it's great to have so many allies now. Um, you know, all these organizations didn't exist when Lincoln Project first started out in twenty twenty, and so it's it's really cool to see how this whole movement has grown. And I, I think what's what what you're going to see from us is. You know, we are we have a very specific set of skills and what we're good at when it comes to messaging. And with our ads being targeted in the six states that will determine the next election, um, we will have, you know, the same pointed messaging, same hard hitting ads and imagery. Uh, you've got Rick and I on, on the breakdown on our on our Lincoln Project YouTube show that we do on Thursdays, similar to. Uh, what you guys are doing, where we we break down what's happening, we put the truth out there, and we arm and educate people, because there are more of us and there are of them. I say this all the time, but people have to feel activated mm-hmm. and motivated and amplify these messages. Amplification is important. Retweet our stuff, repost our stuff. Um, you know, if you feel so inclined to dedicate, you know, to donate money to help us expand and grow, please do that too. We would love it. Um, 
that that's what it's going to take. It takes amplification. It takes activation. It takes yep. engagement and getting people um, inspired to go out there and either, you know, volunteer for campaigns, um, speak to your neighbors, make sure you get people out there to vote. Like it's going to take a collective effort from all of us. Um, and so you're going to see a heavy presence for, by Lincoln Project with with all of our ads and with our messaging and, and getting that out there and partnering with other organizations to amplify the message because it's going to take all of us to do it. Well, you know, I mean, anything that you're involved <laughs> with, Tara, you know that I mean. By the way, your friend Thank with you, his indictments, uh, you know, yes. those indictments, it was a yes. big hit. It was a big hit in the Palm Beach area. Oh, you know, I love it. Yeah. I have to. I'll send it. I'll send a message to Blue and let yeah, him know. Please, so our a friend do. of the Lincoln Project, he started these mints, like literal mints. They're called indictments, and he has different flavors, and they're very. It's very clever. So, so guys, Google them was, and check them out. It was a big <laughs> hit in Palm Beach. Just to listen. I love it. But I Tara, love it. Love you. Thank you so much for joining me again for helping me to spread the word, uh, or me helping you guys to spread the word. Likewise, my friend. Truly appreciate you. Likewise, my friend. We got to get you on the breakdown. Anytime, you know, I'm there. <laughs> I'll see you soon. This is my man, Cooper. No, baby, don't laugh at me. If I tell you my story, don't grab at me, yeah. Take my time, man's fine by me. This is my free coupon. Baby, don't laugh at me. But tell you my story, don't grab me, yeah. I take my time, that's fine by me. This is my free coupon. I'm breaking on down now. Breaking on down, breaking on down, breaking on down. There, Goodson Morgan. Let's see. Or Billy Carson. I want to hear some Billy Carson. Right. Billy Carson official. Mine's timely. Talk DNA. Decoding the truth. Our anomalies unmarked. How about the um, the shift in disclosure with Billy Carson? Twenty thousand children in the middle of New York City without anybody seeing. They are being put into buses. They are given certain clothes. Unified TV. Yeah, they're taking a very calculated approach to this whole mm. disclosure thing. What their um, agenda really is, in my personal opinion, is to gather information, gather intel from the general public just to appease us. In other words, keep us, hey, give us your information. We'll, we'll take a look at it. To be quite honest with you, they see, hear, smell, taste, touch everything that exists not only on the planet, in the atmosphere, as well as outside of our uh, Earth atmosphere. So, you know, everything that's going on in real time, nonstop. 
So a lot of the times when somebody's reporting, or 99% of the time somebody somebody reports something, they've already known about it, probably even have better intel on it than the person that's reporting it. But they're there just to be a, um, a doorstop. In other words, you come here, okay, great, hand us the information, and we'll pass it on. But they're not really doing any deep research into any of the reported claims or reported sightings that, that, they're being, that they've been getting. What they're here to do is to pacify the general population. Uh, behind the scenes, you know, what they're really doing is analyzing data that they've captured on their own intelligence. And so it's just another way of pacifying people, unfortunately. They're not going to really dig too deep into it. Don't look for any big, big reports to come out of Arrow anytime soon. And if it does, if they do come out with a report, it's going to be very, very ambiguous. It's not going to make any hard, straight claims. Now, it's starting to really break down. I mean, people that used to hear me talk about UFOs and and aliens and life on other planets, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, are now all coming back to me saying, hey, I can't believe it. You were right the whole time, you know. So they're starting to really believe it, and they're starting to ask more questions. So even though we're not getting the kind of disclosure we actually want from the government, we are getting the fact that, you know, they're talking about it enough to where now people are saying, oh, this is actually real. There are potentially UFOs and beings from other planets and so forth and so on. So now it's an open discussion. Even when I'm in restaurants sometimes, I hear people sitting around talking about UFOs and UAPs and aliens. Whereas before, a decade ago, I would never hear a conversation like that openly in an open public place. So, you know, it's, it's just gradually, drip by drip, people are come, becoming more aware and more understanding and opening their minds more to the reality that we're not alone. And they're starting to ask more questions. So the benefit of all of this, you know, Arrow and ATIP and all these other programs, the benefit that we do have, at least, is the fact that people are becoming more open to this information. But one of the advices that I have is to really, uh, a bit of advice I have, I should say, is to really um, scrutinize the government's version of the facts. If somebody's just getting into this and they're basing their perspective only on what the Pentagon releases or what government press release says, and what they're going to find is um, they're really just following an agenda, which always is about follow the money. And so let me start with the government agenda first. The government agenda is to make money, and, and it always is. It's all about money and power. And how, the, how does that work out in this particular case with UFOs and UAPs? Well, first of all, let's look at this. They renamed UFO to UAP, right? So they've taken they didn't want to be labeled as tinfoil-wearing hat crazies like they told us we were, so they changed the acronym to UAP. That's number one. Number two, unfortunately, um, you know, we've gone around the world already and brought democracy to a lot of nations. And through that method of bringing democracy to nations and taking over their resources and installing puppet dictators, we've really uh, generated trillions of dollars and a lot of money through wars that were kind of really initiated on our own part. And there is no more, or there are no more countries to invade, and there are no more resources to steal, I'll just be quite frank with you. And so now it goes to, hey, well, what are we going to do now to continue to keep funding this war engine? Well, we got to make the Space Force. So we're going to create this Space Force. We're going to relabel these things UAPs. They're now a national threat. They're an international global threat to security even. We know that for a fact that, uh, you know, veterans have come forward and testified uh, in one of the very first disclosures that these uh, vehicles have showed up live at flights, 
flights are nuclear silos way out in the middle of nowhere, all around the world, not just in America. They've shown up in broad daylight, and they've actually deactivated nuclear codes on live nukes. They didn't activate them, they deactivated them, sending us a message that, hey, you guys aren't going to use these even if you wanted to. And so they realized, hey, let's flip this. You know, they've showed up, we're going to turn this into a negative. They can access our nukes. They can destroy the planet whenever they're ready. We should be afraid of these beings. And so in order to do this, we're going to need to fund trillions of dollars of U.S. tax dollars into this space force. Now, when you analyze what they're really doing, they're saying we've run out of places to invade. We have no more, no more wars to fight. So now we've got to take the war to space. And these beings are our next natural enemy. And so they're going to use a fear tactic to make the hearts of Americans flutter to get us to think that there's a threat in space that's coming to Earth to destroy us. And we have to now unify together to fight against this, uh, this, uh, this alien race, whoever they are. And the, what we have to be aware of is that a lot of these UAPs, even like the Tic Tac incident, probably not UFOs from outer space, to be quite honest with you. Ones that are buzzing our ships and our Navy vessels and buzzing pilots and... Did you know that there is a hidden message in the ancient Egyptian symbol, the Eye of Horus? Despite existing over 3,500 years ago, the ancient Egyptians had advanced knowledge of the solar system, mathematics, engineering, human anatomy, and even the unseen world of the spiritual. If you take a closer look at the Eye of Horus, you'll see that it's actually a reference to the pineal gland when compared to our brain's anatomy. And the reason for this is because this small, pea-sized organ is directly responsible for your ability to connect to the universe. It's a mystical gateway that, once accessed, opens your third eye and allows you to connect directly with the divine. You'll be able to manifest whatever it is you desire directly into your reality, whether it's wealth, health, love, or even discovering your soul's true purpose on this earth. You may even gain access to long-forgotten, hidden psychic abilities that you possess. The rulers and high priests in ancient Egypt understood this, and kept this knowledge to themselves, to help keep themselves in power. But the ancient Egyptians weren't the only ones who knew about the immense power held by our pineal gland. The pineal gland resembles a pine cone, which is how it got its name. This makes the fact that there is a giant pine cone statue in the center of the Vatican, that much more curious. Not to mention the Pope's staff also contains a pine cone on it. If this seems strange to you, trust me, this is only the beginning. Just click the watch now button below to see what other civilizations knew about the power of the pineal gland. But despite being evident in several different civilizations, the truth about activating your pineal gland has been concealed for thousands of years. There are powerful groups of people who control the world, and even governments that do not want you to have access to this information. But even worse, they're doing everything they can to destroy your pineal gland by adding a chemical to your food and water that they claim is good for you. Do you think you know what it is? I'd be surprised if you did. It's something you'd probably never expect. Just tap the watch now button below and I'll explain what it is. But their true goal is to prevent you from opening your third eye, permanently, so they can keep this immense power all to themselves. Luckily, there is a simple 30 second ritual you can do to reverse the damage that has been done to your pineal gland and allows you to activate your third eye. But you must hurry, because they'll do whatever it takes to take this video down and prevent you from learning the secret method of activating your third eye. It's in the sky. Most likely, not all, but most likely the majority of them are ours. Black budget programs that have been funded with no congressional oversight that are being seen in the skies. And eventually what might happen, I'm not saying will, but might happen is they may do another one of these Gulf of Tonkin incidents. We can remember Vietnam War. They lied about the Gulf of Tonkin incident to initiate the Vietnamese War. And in my mind, 
what they're doing is brewing up to the point where they'll take one of these UAPs that are black projects and, and uh, have it appear to attack a ship or maybe even actually attack one of our own ships in order to drive more funding and revenue towards that space force and build space uh, weapons for space, which gives them total space dominance over the entire planet. And so that's one thing we have to be aware of when we're looking at the narrative of only focusing on the government's perspective. I mean, like Rush said, we have vehicles not of this world and bodies, fully intact bodies. So where are these things? Well, they're in an underground base somewhere being reverse engineered and, uh, you know, we're converting them into new uh, high tech, uh, you know, obviously they're, you know, black budget vehicles that are flying around these, you know, PR3B and the Aurora projects and all these other projects that are supposed to exist that are really, uh, you know, obviously uh, not being held out front and saying, hey, guys, this is our new technology. This is what we've got, because if they do that, they're gonna, people are going to say, hey, well, we want this technology because it can be utilized for things in civilian society that can make our lives better. So that's why they keep these things tucked away. They want to use them as war machines only and not give that technology to the people who deserve it. So when you're talking about information that you can take a look at, you can watch After Contact, which is actually on Forbidden Knowledge TV. It's hosted by Nick Pope. And that show is talking about we're, we're already admitting that aliens exist and that these UFOs are real and that we have been getting visited. So let's stop pretending like we don't know that's happening and let's talk about now what happens after contact is made. And then there's a host of people that come on the show from various different uh, areas of science and research and language and and law and everything else to hypothesize ways that we can handle the fact of the point of after contact. We know it's here. We know it's existing. And mankind moving forward in collusion or collaboration uh, with these people. What does that look like? And then, of course, you have Dr. Stephen Greer, who has a a lot of documentaries on Amazon Prime and Netflix that have hit number one multiple times, which talk about, you know, for example, the newest one, The Lost Century, which talks about all these suppressed technologies that we're not getting access to that have been discovered from reverse engineered, uh, you know, technology from these beings and now have even gone into these new uh, spaceships that even exist that are, of course, whole technology that would free up mankind's problems for energy, for gravity, water, and everything else. But they're holding these technologies away in these black budget uh, undisclosed projects. And it's really unfortunate. So, but you can look at Dr. Stephen Greer's work. You can look at shows like After Contact. Um, You know, you have to be aware of some of these UFO accounts and UFO sites that are online. I don't want to name them. Some of them are just utilizing the fame of it for agenda-based to to get likes and views and generate revenue and money for themselves. There's a few YouTube accounts that just make up stuff or post stuff that's not real or use AI images. I've seen AI now used so much to generate interest and views. It's like clickbait. Um, And then they just generate the view and they've made money off of your view. And then, you know, but the information is false. And then those images, unfortunately, those video clips have been getting passed around. Some have gone viral. And they're totally fake. They're just made by AI. So there is a lot to sort through, you know, which is why you want to go to watch shows like by, you know, anything we have on Forbidden Knowledge TV or, or your network, uh, Dr. Bullard, or, or, or um, you know, even like I say, Dr. Stephen Greer, then you have an opportunity to probably get as close to the truth as possible. But there is a lot of fake stuff out there, and there's so many AI images being passed around now as real UFOs and real video clips of UFOs that are just totally fake. Sure.
And what you're going to see is things are going to have to get slightly worse before they get better for us. Because that's just the process of change and a paradigm shift. It's not that it's going to be all, you know, a cakewalk all the way through until it shifts into a whole new economic type of a system and a whole new uh, slew of industries come out that are basically based on free and green and true help for the, uh, for the, for the people of the world. There's going to be a, a process in between where things are going to get a little shaky and people have to be aware of that, be prepared for that as well. You know that when the global sickness took over the planet, everything got shut down. And that, of course, crashed the stock market and everything else. So that was a period of time where you saw, okay, the world literally hit the off switch. Everything came to a complete halt. And then a switch was turned back on and everything came back. So my question is, well, if, if that can happen, well, every industry was shut down at the same time. Why can't we begin to shut down individual industries over a period of time, you give them a four to five year span to shut down and bring a new one up at the same time, right? You get out of, for example, these electric vehicles, they're killing the planet. Electric vehicles are the worst things that they ever invented on this planet. You know, the, 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 the lithium batteries and the cobalt, the, you know, this is forced child labor coming out of Africa. People, kids are using their hands to dig the ore out of the ground with their bare hands and they're dying in these mines and, you know, in, in the middle of Africa. And then you have the fact that these batteries are toxic. They're more toxic than, a, than an engine block. It's better to have an engine block in the soil than it is to have a battery. And you, there's no recycling of these batteries because there's so many different versions of the battery because they were made by open source. In December 2020, retired Israeli security chief said there is a galactic federation and they're staying hidden right now because we're not ready for them. The Galactic Federation are concerned. Paul Hellyer told me we had extraterrestrials helping our scientists on Earth at bases, and there was full cooperation. The Galactic Federation is comprised of countless species and civilizations. These are all intelligences that are influencing our technology, our consciousness. There was a reptilian that was part of this war over our species. The Galactic Federation started as a defense treaty from reptilian expansion into our galaxy. The Galactic Federation is trying to help us. They're out there, and they are watching. There's not only one Galactic Federation. There are federations all over the place in the universe. Deep space. Open source, everybody made a different kind. So the, the true thing here is to move into hydrogen-powered cars, which is where everything is going to go. Everything eventually is going to be hydrogen-powered. They'll use electrolysis to extract hydrogen atoms from, uh, from water, and that'll be pushed into the chamber for combustion, and we'll have clean-running uh, clean vehicles that way. That's coming in the future. Electric cars are going to completely die out, but these block in the soil than it is to have a battery. Uh, in, in the middle of Africa, and then you have the fact that these batteries are toxic. They're more toxic than, a, than an engine block. It's better to have an engine block in the soil than it is to have a battery, and you, there's no recycling of these batteries because there's so many different versions of the battery because they were made by open source, so everybody made a different kind. So the, the true thing here is to move into hydrogen-powered cars, which is where everything is going to go. Everything eventually is going to be hydrogen-powered. They'll use electrolysis to extract hydrogen atoms from, uh, from water, and that'll be pushed into the chamber for combustion, and we'll have clean-running uh, clean vehicles that way. 
that's coming in the future. Electric cars are going to completely die out. But these things need to shut down the EV market, give them five to ten years, and bring hydrogen up while that's going down. These, I mean, it's not going to end the world. They have these concepts in their mind like, oh, if we do this, everything is going to come to a halt. Millions of people will be out of work. Everything's going to come to a crash. Well, you guys turn the switch off and we close the whole planet down and then turn it back on again. So, so there's no more fear, in my heart at least, that closing down an entire industry is going to collapse everything anymore. Now I know for a fact that that's not the case, but people seem to have forgotten already. We turned the planet off and turned it back on again. So that means we can do that with anything we want. Well, you know, with uh, the zero point, it's, a, it's an interesting opportunity for us to really bring electricity and freedom to the entire planet. And so obviously, they, once you let, get, a, get a third world country to level up and become a first world country, then, you know, they're afraid that the, the power struggle will shift and they would, the boot will come off that country's neck, basically. And so that's why the zero points being suppressed so hard. There's a lot of other things out there that we can be working on as well, though, like perpetual motion generators, which have never truly been fully successfully done, but I believe they are possible. There's a couple that have been taken over by eminent domain by the government, so we know that they can be created. And so there's one that are, one that I created myself. It literally generates electricity enough to charge a phone or turn on a light bulb. It's got a problem that I need an engineer torque and gear ratio but these things are possible imagine having a magnetic generator that once you start it the only electric charge you need is the little kick to start the generator then from there it never turns off and it's silent and generates electricity non-stop it's not completely silent but it's you know maybe uh you know a half a decibel or so and so these are things that can power people in the farthest reaches of even the jungle and give them electricity and it's totally clean because all you have to do is just keep the ball bearings uh, oiled every now and then, you know, basic service to keep it running properly. And then, um, you know, and, and then of course, solar panels, which, like you say, harnessing the sun's power. Solar panels we have now are garbage. <laughs> and I learned this because I invented this battery. It's a specialized AGM battery that can power a small house for about four days without uh, being recharged. It can also trickle charge from solar. And then it can also rapid charge when your power comes on. It's designed for brownouts. And through this process of creating this battery, I discovered that the solar panel I was trying to utilize only had a 15% maximum conversion ratio. And I'm like, 15%? Why is this not converting at uh, 70, 80, 90%? I can understand some loss in, you know, in the conversion process, but not that much. So I started looking. I said, maybe it's this product that maybe it's this company I'm using. So I started looking for more solar panels. And every company I went to to get solar panels, some of them were even 3%, 4%, 2%. I even found one that was 1% conversion. <laughs> and I'm going, why are these panels not converting electricity? <laughs> and so I found a I contacted one company and they sent me the link to a government page. And basically it's a it's a government order. You no, know, it's a political order that they put into place. They got it passed a long time ago. And basically this bill uh, bans the uh, the use of solar panels that can convert higher than 15%. And this has gone around the entire planet. There's no oh company God. that you can find Fucking on this government. planet that will give you a, a solar panel that actually converts power higher than 15%, which is the craziest thing I've ever seen. 
So they've Such got to shit. put the boot on our necks even with the solar panels. If we can get solar panels to do what they're supposed to do at 75, 80%, all of a sudden, you know, you have all the clean energy you need. You can take a small amount of area out of Colorado where nobody's living, like a valley, and cover it with solar panels that have the right capacity for conversion, and you can power the entire United States for free. That's all we would need. It's fucking again, scandalous. Powers that be, uh, you know, they put this limitation. They know this, so they put a limitation on solar panels conversion rates. So these are some of the things that you don't need to be bypassed. Um, and, uh, you know, we're working on other technologies as well. Uh, there's, a, there's a crystal that you can, that can actually store oxygen. And so this crystal can store oxygen, and it can also generate power when you apply pressure to it. So it can store oxygen, and it can create power. It, can, it gives off power, or energy, really. It gives off energy when you apply pressure to it. And it can be utilized even in an air tank. So air tanks can be reduced by two-thirds the size and weight and increase the amount of oxygen supply by two-thirds more. And it's just a crystal that has the capability of harnessing and holding in oxygen and releasing it on a steady rate. It can also, the same exact crystal can release um, electricity or, or energy, which can be converted into electricity. So these are some of the technologies that we're working on and, uh, you know, and looking forward to uh, bringing to open source. One thing that we're not going to do is we're not going to try to go for patents on this because going for a patent would be a suicide mission or they're just going to give it a manual idea and throw it on a shelf and it'll never get out to the general public. The problem we have with this idea and this concept of what we're talking about is, you know, trying to sustain an empire for eternity is impossible. If you don't believe that, there is no one empire that has persisted. So when you have a, especially a dark empire, uh, the chances of it sustaining for eternity are pretty slim. Because at the end of the day, people get fed up. It's our natural instinct to fight against uh, you know, adversity. And to persevere above the darkness, it's just a natural instinct. We may go through cycles where we are you know, allowing ourselves to be oppressed for a period of time, but they even even that has a time limit because people also get to a point where they say enough is enough. And so I found a I contacted one company and they sent me the link to a government. It gives off power or, or energy, really. It gives off energy when you apply pressure to it. And it can be utilized even in an air tank. So air tanks can be reduced by two-thirds the size and weight and increase the amount of oxygen supply by two-thirds more. And it's just a crystal that has the capability of harnessing and holding in oxygen and releasing it on a steady rate. It can also, the same exact crystal can release um, electricity or, or energy, which can be converted into electricity. So these are some of the technologies that we're working on and, uh, you know, and looking forward to uh, bringing to open source. One thing that we're not going to do is we're not going to try and go for patents on this because going for a patent would be a suicide mission or they're just going to eminent domain your idea and throw it on a shelf and it'll never get out to the general public. And the problem we have with this idea and this concept of what you're talking about is, you know, trying to sustain an empire for eternity is impossible. If you don't believe that, just look at history. There is no one empire that has persisted forever. All empires seem to rise and fall. And so when you have, a, especially a dark empire, uh, the chances of it sustaining for eternity are pretty slim. Because at the end of the day, 
people get fed up. It's our natural instinct to fight against, um, you know, adversity and to persevere above the darkness. It's just a natural instinct. We may go through cycles where we are, you know, allowing ourselves to be oppressed for a period of time, but they even, even that has a time limit because people also get to a point where they say enough is enough. And so what America has to do is they have to realize that the big brains in this country, a lot of them are imported brains on the, uh, I think it's the SB1 visa or whatever it's called, that allows these people to come in here with the minds for science and technology and help build or, or create. But even at a point, these people are not going to want to come here anymore. They're going to want to stay in their home countries and continue to develop over there. So we've got to be very careful here in this country uh, to not allow ourselves to, like you say, get leapfrogged other third world nations that become first world nations just because they're willing to make the adjustments and changes uh, that we're not willing to make. Even something as simple as all of our government websites in America are the worst websites I've ever seen in history. These websites must be created by, uh, you know, I don't know, by monkeys. I don't know if they, they can't even be, grade school kids can make better websites than these, than these websites that we have here. So, you know, something as simple as changing our own websites are horrible. I remember when Obama was president and they had the Obamacare. They kept crashing. You couldn't even go on the website and fill out the forms. So something is simple, even, even changing that infrastructure, that digital infrastructure, our infrastructure needs to be wiped out and changed over to something totally new and upstream. So, upscale. So we have to, we're, we're falling behind at an, at an, enormous, at an enormous rate. And what's, what's all, the only thing keeping us in our position right now is the military strength and the fear of so distracted that we lose a sight of our true, you know, pure, loving self. At, at our core, I believe a, the majority of people are pure and have pure love in their heart and want to see things change for the better and want to see themselves change for the better. But we're so susceptible right now to these distractions. And it's purely because of what, what you just said, a higher level of consciousness, a higher level of wisdom and understanding perspective, gaining perspective, being able to separate yourself from your thoughts, understanding that you're not your thoughts, you are the observer of your thoughts, and being able to distinguish that and separate yourself from what your body is physically doing based on the input it's getting, and then being able to make adjustments to yourself and your thinking ability on the fly, and that will then will change the outcome of where you're headed, your paradigm. And so, again, it just it's, it's more of, about people learning about who they truly are and how to tap into who they are on the inside and to access that love frequency and to gain that empathy for other people on the outside so that we can move together as a solid unit as people on this planet and regain our birthright, which is not only taking back control of this planet, but also being able to move out into space as well. Yeah, there's just so much that we've gone through. I mean, it's really amazing that, you know, we're still here. That shows... <laughs> how strong we are as people on this planet. 
so much that has been thrown at us theologically, economically, you know, psychologically, physically, and we are still here and multiplying. So we've shown that we have the strength to persevere through pretty much anything. There's only one last main obstacle for us to overcome, and that's understanding that we are all one and to just love one another as was, you know, your own brother or your sister. And if we can come to that understanding and and um, and really put down this divide and conquer, re recognize and discern, like we said, these divide and conquer tactics, which are put out by the political systems, the religious systems, and the school systems, and the and the media, the mainstream media. If we can learn how to discern when we're being attacked with a divide and conquer tactic, and put those down, put our boot on that thing, and step on it and crush it, and get past that. The future for mankind is super, super bright. We will literally excel so far, so fast, it'll be the blink of an eye. It took us 100 years to go from a horse buggy in Paris to putting smoke control cars on Mars. I think just getting past that one hurdle of dividing conquer and recognizing, recognizing it for what it truly is, and really then pushing that out and saying, no, no more. And once we do that, I think we can do what we did in 100 years in 20 years. <coughs> Really accelerate mankind's progress in a way, and, and not just technologically, but spiritually and consciously, because that's one of the biggest things stopping us from excelling past a specific point. It's it's got us just moving ahead, you know, slow, just one drip at a time. But if we can really push that out and get rid of that whole mindset of this divine conquer, recognize it, everything we see, discern it, and push it away, and say, no, I'm not going to allow you to do this to my mind. And then we can, once we get rid of that. We're going to accelerate at a pace that is just unbelievable. Stand up and say no. And then we have to begin to you know, collaborate with each other, like we're collaborating. We have to collaborate. We have to stop isolating and get into collaboration. And we have to begin to work together. And we also have to make plans. We have to begin to organize. That's one of the biggest things we're not doing is organizing as a whole, as a mass of people on the planet, and realizing how do we change these systems? Well, we have to infiltrate them. Right? It's like the old Trojan horse from, you know, the Renaissance era. You have to get inside the gates. And how do you do that? We've got to begin to train people to take on positions of power that are conscious and go on the inside. And when they're inside, then they do what they have to do to break the system down, press the right buttons, expose the right information, whatever it is. Well, we have to begin to infiltrate these systems in this matrix that exists uh, so that we can break it down from the inside out. We can't st keep staying on the outside of these systems and thinking that we're going to have this massive change that just crops up. We have to have conscious people get in and infiltrate from the inside, and then you'll see the curtain begin to fall. So, well, I think if you get inside and you begin to collapse it, you know, break it down from the inside, it, it forces a new paradigm. It forces new things to rise and react. And if you're in there, there's got to be obstacles in this one person. There's people going in and globes that are really trying to go all these different systems and really collapse these systems. It's like a mission, it's almost like a suicide mission in a way, to be honest with you. But got, at some point, somebody has to have the courage to help these systems collapse, and they got to collapse from the inside. And once they're going down, a new system can rise up and react like a phoenix. And then we're listening to this video, but we can understand that, hey, every single one of us is helping to create this reality on this planet. I think that a $30,000 a month is not more. $2,775. And this one for $4,050. Basically, all I have.
have to do is to find a trend, and regardless if the market is going up or down, I get paid. The best part is, this can be done. Huh? Oh, my girl. Oh, shit. Is that it? Fuck. Falling apart one hour ago. Code and Lincoln Project. Yeah. Okay, so Tara, welcome back to the show. And I haven't seen and spoken to you, so Can a you happy twenty twenty four. And let's Thank just you. jump <laughs> you're welcome. Let's jump right into it. So apparently Trump is not immune from prosecution. Trump's lawyers were essentially shut down by the DC Circuit Court of Appeals on Tuesday. So my question to you, Tara, is how do you predict that the court will ultimately rule on this issue? Well, unlike you, I am not a lawyer, but I play one on TV sometimes. Um, and, you know, I've been watching this and, and, and listening to the legal advice of people a lot smarter and more well-versed in this than I am. But just from a common sense perspective, I don't see, after the way those judges questioned Donald Trump's defense team, <laughs> I don't see how they rule in favor of saying, yeah, you're right, the president can do whatever he wants. Yep, immunity, full immunity. Um, if he wants to assassinate a political opponent while in office, nope, he can't be prosecuted unless he's impeached and convicted. That just seems so beyond the pale uh, of any kind of legal precedent or history in this country that I, I don't see them ruling in favor of what Donald Trump's team wants. Now, is there a possibility there could be some type of limited immunity? Maybe. Very narrow. Um, you know, they uh, others have, have given examples of what that could possibly be. But what Donald Trump's team is looking for, I don't see that happening. I mean, it was really, I'm still reeling, actually, from that exchange between Judge Pan and Donald Trump's lawyer, where she backed John, him into the yeah, corner. John Sauer. Yeah, first of all, what was that voice? It was it was horrible. Does he always sound like that? I know, that it just... sounds to me like he just came off smoking like full packs of <laughs> cigarettes, but it almost sounds to me like he has some sort of vocal cord paralysis or yeah. vocal cord nodules that need to be taken care of. Now, for those of you who may be saying, Michael, you're not a doctor, you shouldn't be. Yeah, it's true. But my father was an ENT, a diplomat in head and neck reconstructive surgery and an ears, nose and throat, um, you know, uh, specialist. And so uh, I've seen many people come yeah. in and out of the office, you know, when I was a kid, uh, you know, with that sort of voice in something not right there. No, it made it just made. I only bring it up because it made it difficult to listen to. I, yeah, you know, it was, it was an audio recording. Yeah, it was. What? I'm like, oh my gosh. Um, but anyway, so yeah, she backed him into a corner there on that scenario where she said, you know, if if the president commands the navy, you know, is in order to the Navy SEALs to assassinate a political opponent, it, it was a yes or no, and he basically said, well, yeah. No, quali a qualified yes, but no, it was. No, what, is that, what does that even mean, Tara? I you mean, tell me, you're the lawyer. I, I, don't, I don't know. I've never heard anybody ever use that terminology. A qualified yes, a qualified yes, yes to a question that's predicated around the president signing a hit squad against a political opponent or an adversary by 
SEAL Team 6. I mean, I'm... I'm oh, yeah. It's like something out of a movie. It's something out of a novel. No, um, you couldn't script this stuff. And, and But yet, here we are. This is real life. This is real legal uh, precedent about to be set. And this was an actual legal argument used in a very real case that has broad implications beyond not just Donald Trump and his nonsense here that we're facing legally. So I, uh, I, I felt pretty good about the way the judges responded to their, their defense because it was just so outrageous. However, I've, I've been in federal circuit court hearings and you never know. The questioning doesn't necessarily mean it's reflective of how they're going to rule. I've seen that happen uh, when I was a congressional staffer in some cases that I worked on. I thought it was going great for our side and then the ruling came out and it was not so great. So, you know, you never know. I think in this instance, it's a little more cut and dry, but you just never know. You know, I, do I'll hope tell you, I, don't, yeah. I don't think so. I hate to say it, Tara, I don't think it's cut and dry in any case. When I went before the Second Circuit, three panel judges, um, on the lawsuit that I brought against the United States of America, Donald Trump, Bill Barr for the unconstitutional remake. The interesting thing is, the first judge, Judge uh, Lyman, who's part of the, he was a district court, um, turned around and his comment was, this is really messed up, and I agree with Judge Alvin K. Ellerstein that this was retaliatory. The problem, though, is that with the overturning of the Dobbs decision, it also overturned the case of Bivens, and Bivens is the case that is used when you are suing the United States government for violating your rights. Okay. The Second Circuit attacked, literally, one, uh, I think his name was Judge Harrington Parker. And Judge Parker was straight up perfect. And he was attacking government. He was saying, well, what is the deterrent to stop the president former president or of an official from ever doing this again. And, right. And the other district um, attorney, she was like, O'Donoghue or something like that. She turns around and says, well, he could always avail himself of the administrative remedies at the Bureau of Prisons. So which, if anybody knows what that is, it could get from a BP-9 to a BP-12 so that you could actually bring a lawsuit, it takes about two years. And you're asking the group of people who incarcerated you to acknowledge that they did it right. under improper pretense. So he said, yeah, yeah, I don't think, forget it. Exactly. So he says, I don't, I don't buy that. So what, what, else, what else do you got? He says, that's a ridiculous argument. He goes, well, like what Mr. Cohen did. You can avail yourself of a motion <laughs> for a 
even though, even though there was supposed to be Egbert's case, this case, it was, um, the decision was by Justice Kleiner Thomas. Well, he left it, he left an opening, which is what we were taking, unless yeah. it is of the most unusual circumstance. And one of the questions we asked the three-judge panel, name another circumstance. And Judge Parker said the same thing. Can you name another circumstance that would be more unusual than the President of the United States weaponizing the Department of Justice against the critics and violating their First Amendment rights in order to remain them back to prison? Nobody had an answer. Nalina Haba was funny. They gave her one and a half minutes to speak. She didn't even know the boxing game case, which just came out. And so the judge was like, I think we've heard enough from you. Yeah. So, she was, so wasn't she like a parking garage attorney or something? I, yeah. 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 So, yeah. I mean, she's no rocket scientist. No. However, the reason I bring this all up for my listeners is that you understand <laughs> the comments that were just made. John Sauer, attorney for Donald, at this hearing, validates what I've been screaming from the rooftop for two years now, which is that if Trump re-enters the White House from the 47th president, that there will be no one who is safe. Not Kamara, not me, oh, not members of the Supreme Court, not district court judges that ruled against him, not Congress members like Moskowitz or Raskin or any of the other members that aren't kissing his ass like Jim Jordan and Marjorie Taylor Greene. They will all have the, they will all have possibility a steel team stick knocks down their door and arrests them because that's what the president told them. Well, a couple things about that. Um, steel team sticks can't arrest, right? But they can assassinate, um, and you're—that's kind of what they do. I mean, they're specialized. They're highly specialized now, not on American soil. Constitutional doesn't allow this. But um, Donald Trump said he wants to tear up the Constitution. So none of the constitutional guardrails that are in place to protect Americans from an, an authoritarian government would apply anymore. If Trump came in, he's already found ways now to try to, you know, use the Insurrection Act, and they telegraphed what they want to do with this Project 2025 stuff, and he has these these acolytes who their entire lives are sitting around looking at ways they can, you know, manipulate loopholes in, in the law or constitutionally to try to do these things. How do we know this? Well, they tried it with January 6th and trying to overturn the government in a free and fair election. So. Donald Trump is telling us what they plan to do. The people around him, he's surrounding himself with, are people who are bad, bad actors, bad people who actually don't believe in our constitutional republic, despite all of their bullshit about, you know, the flag and patriotism and all of that. No, no. The three the three leaders in our authoritarian
Seeing the treasonous traitors. Hold on a second. About assassinating Eric Swalwell and Congressman uh, Jerry Nadler. Just send shivers down people's spines because, again, these are people in proximity to Trump that feel the law doesn't apply to them. And Roger Stone and Steve Bannon and the rest of the ilk in that, that mad extremist wing of the party, they all they, they get off on this stuff. They get off on it, and they have people out here who are willing to possibly execute it. How do we know? Well, January 6th, again, Proud Boys, the Three Percenters, the Boogaloo Boys, like, the, the there old are, yep. the Old Keepers, like, there are groups out there, and there are tens and tens of thousands of these people who are out there ready to be activated. Look what happened in Michigan with Governor Whitmer and their attempted kidnapping and murder of her. FBI. Department of Homeland Security, counterterrorism experts have all testified that domestic terrorism is the number one threat to the United States. And yeah. these are people, there's a right wing element to this that people seem to, I don't know if they're in denial or what, but we but, see it every day. Sure. Look, what happened with, look what happened over the weekend. Judge Chutkin yep. getting swatted. What's happening to Jack Smith? As a matter of fact, Rick Wilson at the Lincoln Project was part of this coordinated effort to SWAT people over the last couple of days. 4 a.m., he woke up to 15 members of the SWAT team of his county police department swarming his house. These are intimidation tactics that domestic terrorists are using that are magic extremists that Donald Trump is sitting back and enjoying what he's watching because he believes these are people who will who will be his, his uh, executioners when it time comes, if he ever gets back into power. Yes, but, but Tara, let me say this. Donald has a much bigger plan here than these rogue paramilitary guys that want to be Right. So what they do is they buy all the gear from big sporting goods. Yeah, right? They go out, they grab their beer, right? They go out and get the cooler and a, a bunch of AR-15 rifles into the you know, pre-made locations, someone's backyard. Yeah, and they start running drills, rolling in the dirt, putting no, the numbers Right, yeah, yeah, exactly. That's not who Donald Trump wants. Donald Trump's intent, and you nailed it when you said Donald's own words. Don't, don't listen to Michael Cohen. Oh, right. Mayor. If you want to know who Donald Trump is, listen to him. Listen to what he's telling you that he is going to do who he is, and so on. Not only is he going to tear up the Constitution, he also wants to destroy the tripartite system. I talked about it on almost every show. Yeah. He wants to do away with, the, with Congress, with the judiciary, and he wants to um, do away with the legislative branch. Therefore, yes. Congress will have no ability, the judiciary will have no ability to stop him. This lawsuit that the... Uh, Southern District Attorney is talking about will not be of any consequence because there will be no judiciary. It will be all whoever Donald Trump puts in, and he will be the ultimate arbiter of every single matter because there will be no judiciary. That's what he wants. All power has to be conferred to him. This is he the problem. It, so when he says, right. So when he puts in people like a Michael Flynn or other um, individuals, who will have to take 
that loyalty pledge to him and Steve Miller or Steve Miller yeah. or or Steve Bannon or you're gonna get uh, what's his name uh, Jason Miller you're gonna get all these guys all of them and he's gonna then turn around have 1600 2000 people who took loyalty pledges and he says to the guy who's gonna be running the military I want you to send SEAL Team Six over to so and so's home I don't want you to kill him. I want you to beg them and tag them, and we'll figure out what we're going to do with them. Maybe we'll make a public execution act. And I know people are saying, stop it. That's just kind of a bad fucking episode of House of Cards. This is the right. reality. This yeah, is yeah, why you know, I'm yelling. It's true. You know what, Michael? Like, people, if you were to come down as an alien and see like, where we're at right now, what we're talking about, you'd be like, wait, what? <laughs> is it real? But here's the thing. You see the what's on social media, what's in the, the, the dark web here with these with these Trump supporters and the imagery that they put out there. We saw parts that we saw this during the 2020 election as well, where they have these weird anime uh, like cartoons with Trump as this like pumped up Scott Rambo type guy and you have that, you know, members of Congress stimulating, murdering other members of Congress and like these really violent images that are supposed to project strength, violence and bloodshed and so the cruelty is the point. They are showing us this is the stuff that they like. This is what they would, this is their fantasy, what they would like to do. If you have Donald Trump in power, they get to live this out because he likes that kind of shit too. He's a sick fuck. And he shows us this every day, how deranged he is. And I just don't know the American people fully grasp this. And that's part, part of our challenge this year going into 2024 is really showing people how deranged this guy is because it's beyond just being incompetent or ignorant or an ignoramus or uh, uh, obnoxious deranged in a very sick twisted and violent way similar to people like Kim Jong-un or Saddam Hussein or Putin who get off on bloodshed torture and and seeing their enemies suffer Donald Trump is that is cut from that same mold. He's showing us this all the time. But I think we've become a little desensitized to it because the media ignores it. Or they just go, oh, that's just the crazies over there. No, the crazies have a seat at the table now. They've been mainstreamed. And I don't know how we break through this, but we're damn sure going to try and keep pointing it out and keep making the comparisons between Joe Biden. Yeah, okay, he's a little old. Yep, he might stutter. Versus Donald Trump, who's also old and sick, crazy person who's deranged enough to want to completely undermine what makes this country great. Donald Trump hates America. Trump, Trump people, Trumpism hates America. That's what frustrates me so much about it. Right, no, and they're not. Every one of them has on their social media <laughs> that they're all part, either they're veterans or uh, you know that that somehow Second Amendment. Let, let me ask you this question. Why, in your opinion, has Elise Stefanik, and I had an opportunity to meet her, why has she gone so far to the right? I mean, going so far as to calling the J6 rioters who've been jailed hostages. They are not hostages. And the use of that term, when we're watching what's going on in Israel with, the, with Hamas and the holding yeah. of hostages, they are not, under any definition, hostages. Because no. I think you said, and I quote, 
sold every ounce of her soul. Mm -hmm. My question to you, Terry, for what? For power and relevance. I've said this before, and I mean, I can't understand that because I don't have the type of personality where I'd be willing to sell everything out just to get affirmation or adulation or to feel relevant. I don't know, maybe her dad didn't hug her enough when she was a kid. Maybe she didn't get enough credit when she did something well. You know, maybe she was the ugly duckling and people made fun of her, so now this is her way of of, of coming out and saying, like, see, I'm better than you, I can do it. Who knows? I mean, there's, there's all kinds of of, of uh, psychological reasons that, that drive people to do what they do. But the, the long and short of it is people like her, like Lindsey Graham, you know, like Nancy Mace, who's another one that I have zero tolerance for, and I just want to tell her to shut up because she just is so performative and hypocritical. And another one preening, trying to get attention. See, look at me, look at me. I want attention, I want attention. I was a backbencher, now I'm not. And I'm going to, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be the new Miss MAGA of, of Congress. Like, Elise Stefanik, Nancy Mace, Lauren Boebert, like all these people, Marjorie Taylor Greene, they all have different motivations for it, uh, what drives them. But the bottom line is, the common denominator is power and relevance. Same thing with Kellyanne Conway. We, we talked about this the last time I was on. She's someone else who knows better, who's smart, who had a career, who had a nice family, who gave it all up, threw it all away, to become one of the biggest shills and hypocrites of the entire Trump era. For what? It cost her her family, it cost her her reputation, and why? Because she had proximity of power in the White House? Well, she, she mentioned it. She... You know, she she came from a single family home, so obviously she she was looking for the attention of a man. She lost. She did not have the love of her father, so this was her way of of looking at Donald Trump as some father figure. Which is, you know, I mean, she's not the only one. A lot of other people look at him in this weird way too, and that's I'll leave that up to the psychologist to figure that out. But why do they do this? I mean, Elise Stefanik is Harvard educated for fuck's sake. She's not a dummy. But she made a calculated decision to go this route. When she first came into Congress, she was the youngest member of Congress, a female member of Congress, a Republican, and they had resolved this promise for her. She was a moderate. She was going to help bridge the divides, and she was part of that new crop of, of, of moderate Republicans. And now, she's like Ava Braun level. I called her Bad Dad Bob and Eels. What are you doing? You're going on national media saying with a straight face that January 6th convicted felons domestic terrorists to attack the building she was in where she was cowering in a corner, scared for her life on that day, calling those people hostages? It, it, it is it is outrageous. And then to turn it around and make it seem and say it with such authority as if we're all the assholes for questioning her. It's outrageous, but we have to push back on it. We have to push back. I, I wish Kristen Welker had pushed back more on her. I like Kristen. I think she's an excellent journalist. I don't know that she's suited out for the anchor chair for that show, necessarily. But they've got to push back on it. You know, if Ahmedi Hassan or a stronger interviewer was interviewing Elise Stefanik, who she would never have the courage to go in front of because she knows they wouldn't let her get away with it. Mm-hmm. But they would have fact-checked her on the spot and nailed her on that. Well, I'm sorry. You did, You are a big supporter of Israel. So you're telling me that the January 6th uh, prisoners are equivalent to the hostages in, in that were taken by Hamas, were brutally taken by against their will, tortured? It's a shame she 
she was speaking with the MIT, um, University yep. of Pennsylvania and Harvard, you know, presidents, and on put them on the spot on that right. issue. She was yeah. right on. But you're right, to call, I mean, to call them. It is an affront. And not only to them, by the way, not only are it an affront to people who are actual hostages around the world, who have been taken hostage, um, but what an affront to law enforcement. I mean, all those law enforcement officers who were there defending the Capitol, putting their lives on the line to defend ungrateful motherfuckers like her, to turn around and disrespect their service and their sacrifice to protect them by claiming those people who are now paying the price for breaking the law are hostages? I mean, I, I, mostly people who follow me know I come from a law enforcement family. My grandfather was a police officer for 40 years, captain of my hometown police department. My, my husband is a federal law enforcement agent, 23 years. How dare she? And I don't understand why people in the law enforcement community aren't protesting in, in her home office or in her office in Congress, telling her to apologize to them for making those comments. How dare she? How dare any of them allow them that? Many of them are the same people that seem to be backing Trump, who was actually the guy who told everybody to storm the Capitol. I'll meet you there. And instead, yeah. they are out there. So, again, I can't figure out what the reason for backing, for backing Trump is. It's to me, again, it's baffling, and I'll never understand. Because <laughs> he's a racist. Yeah, they love me, that. Your Senate minority Shut down the border. Was once, he was once this all-powerful member, but now, when asked about Trump, he responds, and I'm going to quote, I choose not to get involved <laughs> and comment about any of the people running for the Republican nomination. Seriously, since when? Since when does Mitch McConnell not have something to say? Huh. Well, you know, Mitch McConnell, his best days are behind him. It's obvious. And there was a time, you're right, where Mitch McConnell...